So let, let's pray and then we'll jump into the text and get after it. So, Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for um, your word. Lord, I pray that uh, right now you would give us um, ears to hear, give us eyes to see. Um, Lord, I pray that if if there's somebody here who does not know you, Lord, I pray that you would do the work of, of conviction, bring sin um into into the light lord and that you would grant them the the grace of repentance that they would turn and put their trust in you and lord i pray that for those of us who are here who do know you lord i pray that you would build us up i pray that you would conform us more into the image of christ jesus and pray that we would respond in obedience to your word and lord i pray that you would guard my mouth lord i pray that i would only say things that come from you come from your text come from your word and Lord, I pray that you would keep the enemy, the evil one at bay, Lord, that, that you would uh, free him from, from distraction in our minds. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us focus as we spend a few minutes looking into your word. And um, pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, if you're visiting with us this morning, again, we want to welcome you. We're excited you guys are here. Um, and and if, you, if you're a member, then you know that well, we're, we're studying through the seven I Am statements that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John. Um, last week, Jim preached from John 10, an awesome sermon uh, from John 10 as Jesus as the door. Okay, and, and I went back and listened to it and... and he really did have a tough time because Jesus as the door is in this same con- is in this same chapter we're going to look at today with Jesus as the good shepherd and so with Jesus as the good shepherd the door was kind of sandwiched in there and so but Jim did an awesome job of preaching that um, and so again this this week this morning we're going to be looking at John chapter ten as Jesus proclaims himself to be the good shepherd. Okay, so if you want to go ahead and turn to John 10, um, go ahead and turn there. And so we're going to look at that. We're going to look at Jesus as the good shepherd. But before, as you guys are turning there, before we get into this text, okay, I think it's important for us to each week that we study these I am statements, okay? Because when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, or I am the light of the world, or I am the door, I am the good shepherd. He is making bold statements. He's declaring himself to be God. Right? That's what he is declaring himself to be. And it is important for us each week, really any time that we look to the text, any time Jesus speaks, is Jesus insane with his statements? Is Jesus just this madman, insane guy, or is he truly God? Is he truly Christ? Okay, before we look into our text, I want us to look at John chapter 10, verse 19, okay? Verse 19, and and, and because again, as Joseph said in, in communion, anytime we approach the scripture, we want to make sure we're looking at this in the proper context, okay? And in John chapter 10, Jim uh, mentioned it last week as he was kind of inter- introducing uh, this chapter. If we, we know that the original language, so before we have this English translated Bible, there were no chapter breaks, there were no verses or anything like that. And so in this context, Jesus, when he's proclaiming himself to be the good shepherd, he's, he's speaking to the Pharisees. 
Okay? Because if you remember in John chapter 9, John chapter 9, Jesus healed this guy who had been born blind. And, and these people, uh, the Pharisees are coming to him and they're saying, like, who did this? Give glory to God. We know, you know, like, we know this guy's a sinner. And they actually call his parents in and his, and his parents say, he's of age, let him speak. Because they didn't want to speak because they knew that if anybody proclaimed Jesus to be God, they were cast out of the synagogue. So they say, ask him, he's of age. And so he says, yeah, this guy was God. And then in verse 41 in chapter 9, he says, Jesus said to them, he's speaking to the Pharisees. If, or verse 40, some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to them, are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. And then in verse 10 or chapter 10, he says, truly, truly, I say to you. So it's this continuation. He's speaking to the Pharisees. Now, just before we get into this text, verse 19, after Jesus proclaims himself to be the door and the good shepherd, this is the response from these Pharisees. People, again, the Pharisees were these really religious people who held to traditions, but they did not know Jesus. They did not follow. They did not truly love the Lord. And verse 19, this is their response to what Jesus says. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? That is the response after Jesus proclaims himself to be the door and the good shepherd. People say he's insane. They're like, this dude's insane. What are you talking about? I'm the door. Like, what does that mean? I'm the good shepherd. What does that mean? These people, they totally miss it. They don't get it. They think he's insane. They think he's a madman. And others said, these are not the words of one who's oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So there were people who called this man insane. And there were some who were saying, no, this, he's, he's God. He is Jesus. And those are the two responses really that we have today in our culture. We, we, regardless of, of, of if we come and, and say a prayer at the end of a sermon, we ultimately respond anytime the gospel's preached. We either respond in obedience or we respond by disobeying and not living in obedience. I mean, it's really simple. It's really simple. And um, so that's what we want to ask ourselves each week. Do we truly believe Jesus to be the Son of God or do we think He's insane? Remember, we want to remember John's purpose in writing this gospel. John 20, verse 30 through 31, he says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by, by believing you may have life in His name. So John's sole purpose for writing this gospel is writing so that you would believe. That's the whole purpose of, of, of John's Gospel is exalting Jesus, seeing Jesus as God, that you may believe, and that by believing you may have life. That is that is that is the that is man's most fundamental need. We need life because we are born spiritually dead, and so we need new life brought in into our lives. And that's what Jesus does. Jesus gives us life. And that's what John wants us to do. He wants us to believe that we may have life. So my job this morning is to present Jesus to you as supreme and as your only hope and your greatest treasure. That's my hope. 
That is my job because it's not about me. It's not about it's not about anything other than exalting Jesus, showing Jesus to be supreme as your only hope and your only treasure. Anytime we we preach the gospel, we want to put your hope solely into the gospel and not on yourself. Amen. Right? We because we know in our own strength and our own in our own power, we we don't have the strength to muster up to 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 do enough good works to do anything to earn God's favor. We need Jesus to bring life into us. That's what we need. So John chapter ten, we're going to jump into it. Jesus says, "My heading says if you have ESV Bible, um, most headings." John chapter ten says, "I am the good shepherd." Okay, so we're going to look and see. Uh, from John chapter 10, 1 through 18. We're going to look and see what the text says, and then we're going to come back, circle back around, make some applications, okay? Um, so what is a good, what, what is a shepherd? We, we kind of need to define that because we don't have, like anybody in here a shepherd? Anybody? Like you got sheep at the house or something that nobody knows about? Like, because I don't. Um, so, so shep, but, but in this context, in the time that Jesus was on the earth, Shepherd, like that was a that was a pretty popular, common um, occupation. Like people, people were shepherd. They had sheep, uh, and, but but now we don't. At least in the states, we don't have many people who are shepherds or who do that for a living. So it's important for us to kind of define so that we know in the context when Jesus says, "I'm a good shepherd," what he really means. Okay, so what is a shepherd? A shepherd. <laughs> I, I was thinking about this on. Actually, I was talking to my wife. Uh, so, like, we might have sometimes you might have this misconce- misconception of what a shepherd is. Like when I like, when I grew up, I grew up in a church that we did uh, Christmas plays every year, and I was always a shepherd boy. All right, and 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 one of the things like that I think about when I think of a shepherd, like you, you know, because I was like ten or something. You know, you think of like a skinny, like small dude who's like, you know, who's got his staff and it's got the little curly thing on the end. You know, and I'm like, I don't know what that means, but they told me to carry it, so I did. And and they, you know, they, the narrator would always say, and the shepherd were out, you know, watching over their flock. And then there would always be like the spotlight would come on, and because the, the angel appeared, and the and the, and the shepherds were so afraid, they would say, <laughs> you know. So we'd always be like, "Whoa, here, he, yeah, there he is." That was our cue to jump back. And, and so they would always say, you know, like there's a savior who's been born in Bethlehem, you know. And that was kind of it. Like we would go, and we would kind of like bow down before the the little manger with the little fake baby, you know, in our, in our Christmas drama play, and then we'd walk out. And that was it. That was it. That was that was. And so that's kind of what I thought of, you know, as a shepherd. But but really, shepherds were not these just skinny, like weak little guys who were just watching over a bunch of sheep at night. I, I, it's a really hard blue collar job that, for for a shepherd. Okay, a shepherd was someone in charge of tending, feeding, and guarding the sheep. Because sheep are vulnerable animals, okay, a shepherd was needed to take care of the flock. So, so, so we know that shepherd or, or sheep, they're very vulnerable animals. They, they, they experience, you know, wolves or coyotes who, who want to seek in and try to, and try to devour the flock. So being a shepherd was a blue collar job that involved hard work day and night tending to his flocks, needs, providing food, water, and guarding them from wild animals who may seek to kill them. 
So, so this was a real danger for sheep. Sheep were in, in danger of, if, especially if you had one who was uh, like lagging behind the flock. Oftentimes wolves would notice that and they would come in and they would take that sheep out uh, because he's kind of a, a long, you know, he's alone. He's not with the, with the rest of the flock. And so he was very vulnerable. Okay, so, and then also sheep would also learn who their master they would all, they'd learn who their master was, and they would know their voice, and, he, and they would follow wherever he leads them. The relationship between a shepherd and his sheep is a close, intimate relationship, okay? Because she, uh, shepherds, they were literally with their sheep day and night. They loved, they invested into their sheep. They loved their sheep. They protected their sheep. They protected their flock. A shepherd is with the sheep day and night watching over them. Okay? So they have this real close intimate relationship and they protect, they feed, nurture, watch over their flock. So that's kind of what a shepherd is. And we're going to look at David here in a, in a few verses once we get there. Uh, David, who was a, was a shepherd in his life. Okay? So John chapter 10. John chapter 10, 1 through 6. 1 through 6, that's where we're going to start. We're going to, our, our passage is going to be 1 through, six, uh, 1 through 18 this morning. Um, so John chapter 10, verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door, he is the shepherd of the sheep. So I'm not going to talk, again, uh, Jim preached on Jesus as the door last week. If you want to go back... I would recommend you go back and listen to that. I'm not going to I'm not going to preach his sermon again because he did an awesome job of that. But John starts off by saying, "He who does not, or Jesus rather, is saying, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way." Again, as Jim talked about last week, kind of what we're talking about here is this like this brick wall where where sheep were at, and the shepherds would go out in the day, and they would have a gatekeeper. And so what Jesus is saying, the guy who tries to climb over the door to get into the into the, the sheepfold, into the flock, that guy's a thief and he's a robber. Verse 2, he says, but he who enters by the door, he's the shepherd of the sheep. The true shepherd walks through the door, proving that he has power, he has authority, he is the sheep of, these, of, of this fold. He doesn't have to climb over the, of the wall. He has the power and the authority to walk through the door because he's the true shepherd. Verse 3. Verse 3 says, To him, the shepherd, the gatekeeper, opens. So, again, as Jim said, when the shepherd would go out, there would be a gatekeeper who would stay there, who would watch over the gate. When the shepherd would come back, he recognizes, he knows who the true shepherd of the sheep, and he will open the door for him. And he says, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Verse 4, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Okay, so what we have in verse 3 through 5, we have, this, again, this, this picture of this intimate relationship between a sheep and a shepherd. There, there are three things. In this, in, in three through five, number one, it says the sheep hear and know the voice of their shepherd. 
the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. It is it is remarkable. You can look up like stories on like uh, on like the internet or something and see. I heard this one story. It was probably like 10, 15 years ago of this shepherd in I think it was in like Palestine. Um, there were about a hundred sheep in this field. And and they were I think what they were doing is they were kind of like moving, transporting them to a, like to a different field. And so what the shepherd, the shepherd did, he came to this field in this uh, in this field where about 100 sheep are. And he had like 30 sheep. He had like 30 sheep that were in there. And so he came and he said, uh, I'm going to I'm going to get my sheep and, and we're going to go like we're going to relocate. We're going to move over to this other field. And this guy's kind of like, uh, well, like, good luck. Like, you know, like there's like 100 and you have 30 sheep. And so he says, OK. You know, whatever. And he begins to walk out and he begins to sing this song. He begins to sing this song. And what do you know? The 30 sheep that were his begin coming to him. Why? Because the sheep, they know his voice. They know this song. They know, they know their calling card because he has spent time. He's probably like spent day and night singing to them. You know, because he's investing into them. They know his voice and these sheep begin flocking to him. And he's like, I got my 30 sheep. See, you, dude, you know, like I you said I wouldn't get them out of this hundred fold, but I just did. So so sheep know the voice of their shepherd. OK, a good shepherd. They, they know their voice. They, they they learn it. They remember it. You don't have to. You don't have to like twist their arm or, or anything like that to get them to come to you. Like you just go out and begin to call, and the she- the sheep know their, the voice of their shepherd. The second thing in this in this passage, verse four, the sheep will follow their shepherd wherever he leads them. Okay, so the, the shepherd would come in, and wherever he leads them, the sheep follow. Where he goes, they go, because it's this trust the sheep, trust their shepherd, so they go wherever he goes. And the third thing, number five, uh, verse five, sheep will not follow a stranger. Rather, they will flee from him because they do not know him. In verse five, it says a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. So a sheep, they will not follow the voice of a stranger, regardless how uh, how close somebody like somebody else may come in and try to mimic the call or the song that the true shepherd has, they, they don't they, they will not follow somebody who they don't do not recognize. They won't follow him. Okay? Um and, and that's really, like I worked with I worked with uh, my uncle one summer growing up in high school and he has a farm and he had cattle and, and he was like, go out to the farm, get the, like herd the cattle in, bring them in, bring them into the barn, we're gonna feed them. Like I went out there and it was just like I could not get these cattle to come to me. Like they'd never seen me. I'd never seen them. And I was getting frustrated, like I couldn't hurt them in. And I'm, I, I'm like, I don't know what to do. And he comes out, and like they come walking in, and I'm like, well, why didn't you just do that in the first place? You know, like they know you, they don't know me. You know, I, I was getting frustrated. Um, also, like a couple weeks ago, right after church here, my sister-in-law she has this dog, and so she she was out of town, and she was like, can you guys can, like can you guys go to the house, let the dog out, and and let it, you know do his business, whatever outside. And so we're like, sure. So we go and, and we let the dog out and, and we're standing around and it's like, all right, let's go. Let's go back into the house. But he begins to run away from me. 
He doesn't run away from me. He won't come to me. He's like, his little legs are like shaking. Like they, she rescued him out of like an animal shelter, like a dog that had been mistreated. And so like it's scared of me, like I guess, tall, ugly looking guy, you know. And so it's like running around the house and I'm trying to get the dog to come. And, and then we found out like the dog can't hear well or something. So it's not doing any good that I'm doing like, come on, you know, like whatever. And so, so, so anyways, like 30 minutes of this goes by. And the dog's just not coming, so then I'm just like, well, I guess I'll just run after, pick him up, and take him in the house, and we'll get on our way. And so I start running after him, and he starts running away from me. And so then I think he started running towards the house, so I was like, well, I'm not going to try to pick him up. I'm just going to chase him back to the house, because I was like, he's going that way, so let's just go. So he jumps in the house, and I'm like, I tell my wife, shut the door, and like, let's get out of here, because it was frustrating. But, but like, I, I, I know that may sound silly, uh, but like that dog doesn't even know me. It's like first time I'd ever seen him. And so, however, if my sister-in-law had been there, she probably could have got him in like five minutes. So, so, but sheep they will not follow a stranger if they do not know him. Okay, verse six. This figure of speech Jesus used with them. So he's using this with the Pharisees. Used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So these re- religious elite of the day like these guys who were steeped in tradition who knew the law who who knew all this jesus is using this kind of this parable this figure of speech and they completely miss it because it says this figure of speech used with them they did not understand they're like what like what are you talking about when he said when he's referring to the door and the sheep and the shepherd so verse 7 jesus again said to them Truly, truly. So now he's going to clearly articulate what he's saying. Like, I don't know if you remember when, when Jesus in the gospel, he's talking to his disciples and multiple times he tells them that the son of man must suffer, be crucified, be buried. And, but he will rise again in three days. He says that over and over. And, and like it, kind of like this constant theme of like the disciples, they don't understand what he's saying. And so in one point, I can't remember which gospel. I think it's, the, I think it's Mark, but he says, uh, it's, it's kind of kind of comical because he says uh, Jesus stated clearly, "I must die." Like I can't get any more clearer than that. Like I have to die. I'm going to die. So that's kind of like what Jesus is doing here. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. So these thieves and robbers uh, in this time are those. Uh, those who were not true shepherds of the sheep, uh, some commentaries refer to say that these thieves and robbers are actually the Pharisees that Jesus is talking to. Those who proclaim that salvation is through another way other than Christ alone. They seek to come in, destroy the flock. They seek to come in, teach heresy, false doctrine. Um, so they were those who taught that salvation through some other way than Christ and Christ alone. They're the thieves and the robbers that Jesus is talking about in this verse. And the sheep who are being referred to as the people of God. So we know that in, in, in the Bible, uh, Jesus talks about how he is the husband and we are the bride. In this passage, when he's referring to him as the shepherd and, and the sheep, we are the sheep. We're the sheep. We're the people of God. He's the shepherd. He's the one who rules and reigns and governs over us. We're the sheep that follow him. And I'm kind of jumping a little bit to, to, to our application. So, but I just want to make that clear. In this section that we're looking at, when he says sheep, 
we are the we are the we are the people those who have trusted in Jesus. So he says, um, and the sheep who are being referred to as the people of God did not listen to them because they were chosen by God and refused to embrace the heresy that salvation is in and through another way. Listen, there's no other way to salvation other than Jesus and Jesus alone. Okay, we'll look at that later on. Um, in another I am statement where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way to the Father other than Jesus through the door, as Jim talked about last week. Salvation is in Christ and Christ alone. Verse 9 says, uh, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. In verse 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So the thief who climbs over the wall in order to get to the sheep, excuse me, has no interest in the sheep. Verse 10, where he says, the thief, again, these thieves who are seeking to climb over the wall, they do not have any interest in the sheep because they have no investment in the sheep. They do not love the sheep. Their only desire, verse 10, is to steal what is not theirs to kill and destroy the flock. That is his only desire. The thief who teaches that salvation is through another way, teaches false doctrine. He has no investment in the sheep. He's only seeking to steal what is not his, kill and destroy the entire flock. But Jesus, the good shepherd, seeks the well-being of his sheep. He gives life and he gives it in abundance. The second part of that verse. So Jesus is comparing the thief who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. He says, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That is, again, that's the whole purpose of John writing this, is that we may believe and have life because Jesus gives us life. But he doesn't only just give us life, he gives us life in abundance. And this doesn't necessarily mean that life is going to be great and we're going to prosper and have a lot of money and and have great wealth and drive nice vehicles and have the best job and have retirement in our lives or have perfect children that's not what he means when he says i I give life and i'm giving it abundance he means that he has completely redefined and changed your life you have a purpose now your life has a purpose your job has a purpose your marriage has a purpose your parenting has a purpose Everything's completely changed from when you were dead in your sins and you had no life. So that's what Jesus does. He gives life and He gives it in abundance. Verse 11, and this is really the kind of the, verse 11 and, and 14 are kind of the real key verses that we're looking at. Um, but we're kind of looking at this in a whole context kind of so, so that we can really understand it. Verse 11, He says, I am the good shepherd. So why does Jesus call himself the good shepherd? Again, we we looked at what a shepherd, like kind of his roles and his characteristics as a shepherd uh, was to guard the flock, lead the flock, uh, protect the flock. So why does Jesus call himself the good shepherd? It should be understood that Jesus is the good shepherd, not simply a good shepherd. Okay, so we need to make sure that he's not just a good shepherd, because there were a lot of good shepherds. In this time, in, in the Bible, David was a good shepherd. So we must understand that he proclaims himself to be the good shepherd, not, sim- not merely a good shepherd. 
But he is unique in character. The Greek word kalos, translated good in this in this passage, describe that describes that which is noble, wholesome, good, and beautiful, in contrast to that which is wicked, mean, foul, and unlovely. It signifies not only that which is inwardly character, but also that which is attractive outwardly. It is an innate goodness. Therefore, in using the phrase the good shepherd, Jesus is referencing referencing his in, in his inherent goodness, his righteousness, and his beauty. As shepherds of the sheep, he is the one who protects, guides, nurtures his flock. Turn to so so looking at this, I want to be faithful to this text, but I also want us to look at a, at Psalm twenty three. So turn with me into your Bible to Psalm 23, and we're going to look at this psalm from a guy named David. Okay, Now most people, even if you're not a believer, most people can quote to you the, the 23rd psalm because a lot of people uh, have heard it at maybe funerals or, or maybe just people just, people just know it because it's a very common psalm that, that people quote and use. Um, and, and I have read it a lot. But as, as far as studying and preparing for the sermon, uh, really reading it and looking and, and understanding what David is saying in this psalm really has changed the way I view this psalm. And and I I, I had a book uh, by a guy named Philip Keller, and it's called uh, A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23. I would highly recommend it. It's a very short book, but he goes through and he and, and really lays out what these things mean, what David is saying. And so from this passage, we have like 10 points. And again, like this could be a sermon in itself, but we're not going to necessarily preach this sermon, but we are going to look at uh, some characteristics of a good shepherd. Because Jesus says in John 10, I am the good shepherd. And here in Psalm 23, David says, the Lord is my shepherd. So we so we we're going to look at some characteristics that David lays out in this psalm. Uh, and again, as we said at the at the beginning, David knew a lot about being a shepherd. In First Samuel chapter seventeen, thirty four to thirty nine, uh, you don't have to turn there, but the context of that is when David goes to fight Goliath. You know the big Philistine that uh, David, that David goes up again. He defeats uh, the giant. And in 1 Samuel, this is what David says. He's speaking to Saul. He says, but David said to Saul, your servant used to used to keep sheep for his father. So David used to be a, a shepherd uh, for his father and he would watch over his father's flock. And listen, like, listen to this. This is again, this is like completely dissing the shepherd boys or just like skinny, scrawny, bunch of wimpy guys. Like, no, they're pretty bad dudes because you're fixing to find out what he says. David says, and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock. So you see what he's saying? Like when a lion or a bear or something came and took the, took a lamb from the flock. This is what he did. He said, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. Like he chased down a lion or a bear and struck that dude and took his lamb back. Like, that's pretty manly right there. That's not some wimpy, cowardly dude. He goes after this bear or lion, and he takes his lamb back, and he says, and if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Like, like if I didn't kill him when I first struck him, I'd grab that dude by the beard, and I'd beat him and kill him and take back my lamb. 
He says, your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defiled the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. So he's like, this Philistine is nothing. The Lord delivered me from the bears and lions. I'm not scared of him. And Saul, Saul responds pretty good and says, go and the Lord be with you. Like, yeah, like if he did that, like go and let the Lord be with you. Because that's pretty remarkable. So David knew a lot about being a shepherd. He spent time out in the fields watching over his father's flock. And in Psalm 23, he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Again, looking at what a shepherd was, a shepherd who was those who watched over, cared for, protected, who fed them, who gave them water. Jesus says, The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is the one who watches over me. The Lord is the one who protects me, who guides me, who leads me in truth, who leads me into holiness. I shall not want. If you have an NIV Bible, it may say, I shall not be in want. David has said, the Lord is my shepherd. He's the one who watches over me, and I shall not be in want. I am completely content under the care of the good shepherd who is Jesus. That's what David's saying right here. That's what he's saying. I shall not want. Verse 2, he says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. So the first thing uh, that we're going to look at, again, I think there are like 10 of them. We're, I, I promise we're going to go fast through them. Um, go, go buy that book and read it, um, and it, it'll be really helpful. But this is just an overview. When he says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. Okay, we need to understand it is almost impossible for sheep to be made to lie down. Owing to their timid, timid nature, they refuse to lie down unless they are free of all fear. So, a, a, a lamb or a sheep, they're not just going to lie down just for the heck of it. The reason they stay standing up is because they're timid, they're fearful of something. Either they, they sense that there may be a wolf or a coyote or something that's, that's seeking to come in and destroy them, or maybe they're hungry, they, they're not going to lie down. Um, so, owing to their timid nature, they refuse to lie down unless they're free of all fear. Free from the fear of hunger is one, of, is one way to get sheep to lie down. A good shepherd's job... Okay. We have to understand in Palestine, it's not like they can go pick a field that's just full of green grass. Okay, like it's not. It's just like desert, land, country. Like that's all it is. So in order for a shepherd to have green pasture, what did he have to do? He had to go out and work. He had to cultivate. He had to plant uh, grass and, and work for it. Watch it grow so that his sheep could have green grass to lie down in and to feed and to graze in. Okay, does that make sense? Like green grass just didn't come up. Like you had to you had to work at it. And that's what and that's what uh David is saying. He makes me lie down in green pastures. A good shepherd's job is to cultivate green pastures for his flock so that they are well fed and provided for. What are they going to eat out in the desert or out in the out in the dirt if that's where they're at? They're not going like that's not going to dirt's not going to like sustain them or, fi- or, or or fulfill them. They need green grass. They need healthy green grass to feed and graze in. And Jesus and David is saying that that's what Jesus does. A good the good shepherd Jesus provides us with Himself and with His Word for us to feast on and grow into healthy, mature followers of Him. We have His Word. We can feast 
like when Jesus said in John chapter 6, when He said, I am the bread of life, and when, and when people start flocking to Him because He provided fish sandwiches for them, and, and people start coming after Him because they're like, hey dude, you made like, you made like thousands of, of bread and, and like fishes and, and like all kinds of things with only like five and two. And so we're following you. And He says, uh, He says, no, no, no. Don't follow me. Like, I am the, like, if you want to, if you want eternal food sustainment for your life, you have to feed on me. You have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And people are like, whoa, whoa, whoa we don't want any of that. And they begin to turn and, 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 and they don't follow him anymore. But Jesus gives us his word, gives us himself so that we can feast on him and we may grow. Uh, verse two, again, the second thing, he leads me beside still water. So, so, David says he leads me beside still waters. When sheep are thirsty, they become restless and set out in search of water. They're just like any other, you know, like me. Like, if I'm thirsty, I want to go get me a drink of water. And that's what they do. If not led to the good water supplies of clean, pure water, they will often end up drinking from polluted potholes where they pick up internal parasites or other disease germs. So if, a, if sheep are not led to pure, good water for their, for their soul, then they like they just kind of like go to the closest like they're like they're lazy like me like they just like well there's some water there I guess I'll, I don't care if it's dirty like, I'll drink it anyways no like they'll go to the polluted areas but a shepherd a good shepherd who cares for a sheep is going to actually lead them to streams of good clean pure water that's what a good shepherd is going to do in the same way Christ our good shepherd made it clear that thirsty souls of men and women can only be fully satisfied. When their capacity and thirst for spiritual life is fully, fully quenched by drawing on himself. Jesus says in Matthew 5 verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. To drink in spiritual terminology seems, simply means to take in or to accept or to believe. So Jesus leads us to, to, to clean, pure water. He, he, he quenches our thirst for him. Number three, number, verse three, he restores my soul. David says he restores my soul in verse three. Sheep that are, okay, so if you read through the Psalms, there are oftentimes this, this constant theme of, uh, of sheep being like cast down. Or David saying like, uh, like, why are you, why are you cast down, oh my soul? Okay? Like, okay, so when we think of being cast down, it's not simply like, like you're just down. No, it means like you are completely, it means when, when David would say this to a sheep, it means sheep that are cast down means that one has fallen over on its back and unable to get up. So shepherds would go out and they would begin to count their flock and if they began to see that they're missing one or two, they immediately begin to look out on the horizon, look out on the field to see if there are any sheep that are cast down. They're on their back and they literally can't get back up. So what a shepherd would have to do is he would have to go out and physically get out there and lift up the sheep and put him back on his feet. Plant him back on his feet. Bring him back into the fold. So it's not just simply like, oh, like I'm just having a bad day. Like, oh, oh, my soul, I'm cast down. No, like these sheep are literally on their back and they can't get up. The shepherd then must go out looking for the cast down sheep and get it, get it back on his feet. Christ restores our souls when we are down. Life is hard. Things happen that, that, that we oftentimes can't control. Circumstances happen. We, like, 
our lives may seriously get to where we feel like we can't get up, Christ restores our souls. No matter what has happened in your life, no matter what is going on, Jesus can restore your soul. And, and David would say in, in Psalm where he would say, restore the joy of my salvation. Because David, although was a great man, also had, had issues. He committed adultery, c- killed like his best friends. And in Psalm 51, we see where David is repentant. And so David knows what it means to be cast down and literally like where he doesn't like doesn't know where to turn and he knows that the lord will restore him and so he cries out for repentance verse three again he leads me in paths of righteousness sheep are notorious creatures of habit if left to themselves they will follow the same trail until they come ruts graze the same hills until they turn to desert waste pollute their own ground until it's corrupt with disease and parasites so again just as sheep will go to polluted potholes for water left to themselves they will just kind of graze um they'll just kind of go where where they're used to and they'll ultimately begin to create ruts in there and it will not be a good healthy place for them to, to live and so what a shepherd needs to do is to lead them in the way that they need to go he needs to come make sure that they're not uh, they're not staying in the same place. I, re- I read this one article that for good, healthy growing of the flock, it was good that, that they would periodically change where they where the shepherd had his sheep. So changing to a different field, kind of moving, getting them in a different scene. Scripture points out that most of us are stiff-necked and stubborn a lot. I'm, like I know I am, and and the Bible says that about us. Like we're stiff-necked, like pretty strong language he says oftentimes we're stiff neck people we're stubborn we prefer to do what we want to do whenever we want to we are like i want to do what i want to do and nobody's going to tell me what what it, like it's just in our nature like we're still fighting sin in our lives although the blood of jesus has covered us eternally of of our sin and we are his we still fight daily to submit to the lord and so we often need or not often all the time we need the lord to lead us into paths of righteousness isaiah 53 6 we all like sheep have gone astray each of us has turned to his own way so just as shepherds would lead their straying sheep into the right path so jesus leads us to the path of righteousness and holiness we need christ to daily lead us daily we need to be submitting daily to christ so that he's leading us in paths of righteousness and holiness because left to ourselves we're destru- we're destructive. Like left to myself, I would sh- I'll, like I'll blow up the house. I'll do out like something will happen. I'll I'll like leave the stove out on or something. And and like so, I need people around me. I need Christ daily in my life to lead me in paths of righteousness. Verse four, he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for your fear with me. Up to this point in the psalm, it has been from the viewpoint of the sheep boasting in the goodness of its shepherd. So. Up to this point, David has been from the viewpoint as a sheep boasting of the goodness of his shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He's good. But now, now it turns to address the shepherd directly. The personal pronouns I and you enter the conversation. It becomes the most intimate discourse of deep affection. Both in Palestine and on our western sheep ranches, the division... I got this from uh, part of this book that, that I recommended uh, because I feel like it was really good. This division of the year is common practice. Most of the efficient sheepmen endeavor to take their flocks on distant ranges during summer. 
This often entails long drives. The sheep move more slowly, feeding as they go, gradually working their way up the mountains behind the receding snow. So as the snow begins to come in, shepherds would oftentimes lead their their uh, their flock up into uh, higher like higher mountain range or something like that to to stay away from the winter and and the snow. Um. The sheep move more slowly, feeding as they go, gradually working their way up the mountains. By late summer, they are well up on the remote alpine meadows above the timberline. With the approach of autumn, early snow settles on the highest ridges, relentlessly forcing the flock to withdraw down to lower elevation. Finally, toward the end of the year, as fall passes, the sheep are driven home to the ranch headquarters where they will... uh, where they will spend the winter. It is the segment is this segment of the year operation that is described in the last half the last half of the poem. During this time, the flock is entirely alone with the shepherd. They are in intimate contact with him and under his most personal attention day and night. That is why these last verses are couched in such intimate first person language. And it is well to remember that all of this is done against a dramatic background of wild an- wild mountains. Rushing rivers, alpine meadows, and high rangelands. The shepherd knows from past experience that predators like coyotes, bears, and wolves, and cougars can take over in these broken cliffs from their vantage point, and from their vantage point, they prey on the flock. So during this time of year, the shepherd knows that this is like prime time when when coyotes, bears, lions are preying because as they're going up this mountain, they may see a flock coming in who's dragging behind, and they may they may attack him. But in spite of these hazards, he also knows that the best way to take his flock to the high country, that is through the valley, through the valley up these mountains. This, this psalm speaks of walking through the valley of the shadow of death. So although these shepherd, the, the, the shepherds would have to lead their sheep up through this valley, ultimately he, and although it's rough and it's hard climb for his sheep, he knows ultimately that for the protection of his sheep and for their perseverance, making it to the top, he knows that going through this valley is the best thing for him. This psalm speaks of death. We know that death ultimately comes for us all, but we have the hope and assurance that we can confidently walk through the valley with Jesus with, a, with us into his eternal presence. We know that the valley of the shadow of death ultimately comes is coming for us because of sin, but for those of us who hope in Jesus, we can walk through that that valley with boldness and confidence, knowing that it is ultimately just a, a passage to the Father, to eternity with Christ. Number six, verse four, he says, Your rod and your staff comfort me. In the Middle East, the shepherds carry only these rod and, sh- and the staff. The rod was an extension of the owner's right arm. It stood as a symbol of his strength, his power, his authority, in any serious situation, so that little rod and staff that I used to carry, like in, in the like, it really meant some. It showed power and authority that the shepherd had. The rod was what he relied on to safeguard both himself and his flock in danger. So the rod was used to fight off, fight off the wolves, bears, coyotes. But it was also the instrument he used to discipline and correct any wayward sheep that insisted on wandering away. So it, not only was this used to protect the sheep from from wolves, but it was also used to discipline the sheep 
for any sheep that may seek to wander away. Just as the sheep of David's day, there were, there was comfort and consolation in seeing the rod in the shepherd's skillful hands. So in our day, there's great assurance in our hearts as we can, as we contemplate the power, veracity, and potent authority vested in God's word. Not only also was a rod used for discipline, but it was also used as authority as he would use the, that rod to count his sheep. He would come over and he would count his sheep with that rod. And they were coming under the authority of that, of that shepherd. For in fact, the scriptures are, are his rod. They're God's rod. They are the extension of his mind, his will and intentions of mortal man. It is a comfort to have his authoritative, clear-cut, powerful instrument under which to control ourselves. And again, it was used to discipline. And so the Word of God is. The Word of God is used to encourage us, to build us up, but is also used to discipline. It will discipline us. The writer of Hebrews said that that the Word of God is sharper than any two edged sword. It has the power to cut to the deepest part of who we are. Number seven, verse five, he says, You prepare a table before me. Uh, shepherds would go before their sheep looking for any signs of, of poisonous weed so he could pluck them before his sheep got to them. Again, as these sheep are going up these valleys, they would move more slowly, they would feed, but what the shepherd would do is he would go ahead and he would pull any weeds or poisonous uh, thing that, that their sheep may grab onto and seek to eat and, and bring disease or, or death to, to a sheep. Jesus, our good shepherd, also goes ahead of us in every situation, anticipating what danger we may encounter and praying for us. A, a good example of this is like uh, Peter, when Jesus says, hey, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter denies him three times. And after Jesus is resurrected from the grave, uh, Jesus says, but I've prayed for you that your faith will not fail, but you will build up the brothers. I've prayed for you. This is This is kind of an example of Jesus going before Peter and praying for his perseverance to not uh to not let his denial ultimately ruin his life number five or number eight verse five he says you anoint my head with oil in the heat of summer sheep can be attacked by flies that if not treated properly can infect the sheep to the point of death like literally in in this in the book that that I, uh, i recommended to you guys he talks about how sheep could could be so attacked and, and by flies in the heat of summer that they could like it's, it's kind of gross. I'm not going I'm not going to talk about it, but they like seriously they could become so annoyed and like infection could get into them where they would literally go and beat their heads up against like a tree to the point of killing themselves because it was so it was so annoying and it, and they would the, the, these flies would attack their sheep so in order to keep flies and and insects and things like that away from the sheep in the summertime the shepherds they would mix this oil up and they would put it on the heads of their sheep so that it would it would protect them it would keep them uh help keep the flies away and insects away from from their sheep Each, we all, we as well, we need the Spirit of the Lord to anoint us each day so that our lives, um, will reflect the gospel in our lives so that we can live in obedience so that we, uh, fight off things, uh, that ultimately do not matter but that we will be obedient to Jesus. Number nine, verse six, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Sheep who are under the care of a good shepherd who take care of them, like this, know and understand the goodness and mercy from their from the master's hands. 
So when he says, surely goodness, sheep understand that goodness and mercy will follow me. We too, we're under the care of a good and merciful shepherd who has our best interest in, our, in, in mind. Um, and so that should be our boast. That should be our anthem that surely goodness and mercy will follow me. Number 10, verse 6. Um, this, is the last, this is the last one from Psalm 23. And we'll jump back to John 10. I will dwell in the house of the Lord. The psalm opened with the proud, joyous statement that the Lord is my shepherd. And now it closes with the equally positive, buoyant affirmation. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Here a sheep is so utterly satisfied with its light in life, so fully content with the care it receives, so much at home with the shepherd that there is no shred of desire for a change. There's absolutely no other place the sheep would rather be. They want to be with their shepherd on the other hand, on a deeper spiritual note, uh, on the shepherd's side, or on the shepherd's side, there's also developed a great affection and devotion to his flock. He would, he would never think of parting with his sheep. Healthy, content, productive sheep are his delight and profit. So strong now are the bonds between them. It is very truth forever. So this also, sheep would, understand the good goodness of their of their shepherd and they would want to stay with him they would not want to leave and the shepherd is invested in them that he is wants to stay with them that's that's the relationship we have with our good shepherd we are ultimately satisfied and content to be under the care of jesus and jesus loves us that he's faithful to us he will not depart us he will not leave us and his desire is ultimately to, to dwell with us forever that is his desire is his desire in the beginning that we would enjoy fellowship with Him. Man fell, broke, sin broke everything, broke our relationship with Jesus. But Jesus has brought salvation by, by sending us His Son. And so that's what Jesus wants. He, wants he, he desires that we spend eternity with Him. So jumping back to John 10, and we'll go through this and, and hit some application and, um, and we'll be done. So in verse 11, why is Jesus the good shepherd? We looked at some characteristics from David. The good shepherd is good because he lays down his life for the sheep. Three times Jesus says this in verse 11. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 15, I laid down my life for the sheep. Verse 17, I laid down my life that I may take it up again. In the Old Testament, this is, this is interesting to, to think about. In the Old Testament, the sheep died for their shepherd. Okay, We know in the Old Testament because in the Old Testament, they would sacrifice sheep. The shepherd would go out. He would be the one who would find that sheep to to atone for the sin of the people. Or we we have these number of offerings that the, that they would use sheep for. In the New Testament, the shepherd died for the sheep. Jesus ultimately Jesus comes. And he fulfills. He is that lamb, but he's also that shepherd who comes and he sacrifices himself for us. That was his mission. That was his goal in coming. And three times he says it, the good shepherd lays down his life. In verse 12, verse 12 through 13, it says, He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. So Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd because I lay down my life for the sheep. And he begins to compare it to this thief or this robber, or, or excuse me, the hired hand, who watches over the sheep. And he says, when the hired hand sees a wolf coming, he flees to save his life, and he could care less about the sheep. 
He could care less if the wolf comes in, devours the flock. Because why? Why? Because he has no true investment in the in that flock. And Jesus says, "I'm not like the hired hand. I'm the good shepherd. I love my sheep. I've invested in my sheep. I gave my life for my sheep, and I will. I, I love them. I will protect them." The hired hand cares nothing for the sheep because he has no real investment in them. The hired hand loves himself more than he loves the sheep. Therefore he, lo- therefore, he flees the moment he sees the wolf coming in order to preserve his own life. The hired hand, the guy who, who, who doesn't care about sheep, he is only, he's only worried about his own life. There's a huge difference between the care of the owner and the care of a hired hand or an employee in anything. Like, it, like if you own a business or if you work for somebody who owns a business, usually the guy who's the owner of the business cares more about whatever it is than the people who work for him. Now, the people who work for him, like they may truly love and care for what the owner has and as they work for him, but ultimately the owner loves and cares and wants to protect what is his more than a hired hand. And that's what Jesus says. Jesus is saying the hired hand doesn't care about the sheep, but I, the good shepherd, do care about the sheep. Verse 13, he flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Verse 14, again, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus makes a very bold statement here where he, when he says, just, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Because he's... Let me back. He says, I know my own and my own know me just as I know the Father and the Father knows me. So what Jesus is saying is, He is saying, just as I and the Father know each other and the Father knows me, this close, intimate relationship that they have, like this is the, this is the most perfect, close relationship that, that, has, that has ever existed. Jesus is saying, I have that same kind of relationship with my people. So for those of us who are in the fold, in the sheepfold, Jesus knows us with the same intimacy as he knows the Father. Now, that's a bold statement. He knows us. Nobody, nobody knows me. Nobody knows you more than Jesus. Amen. Verse 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. So Jesus is saying, I have more sheep other than what are just here right now. Like Jesus Jesus mission was not to come and raise up 12 disciples, Jewish disciples, die and, and leave the rest of us without any hope. No, his desire was to bring all people, all nations, all languages into this sheepfold. And we're really going to nail on this in just a minute when we look at some application here. So Jesus is saying that there are other sheep that are not uh, that are not right here in this context who need to be saved and brought into the sheepfold. And in verse 17 and 18, For this reason the Father loves me, because I laid down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. Jesus alone had the authority to lay down His life. Nobody took His life from Him. From him. He willingly laid down His life. This was the mission or charge that was given by the Father, and Jesus submitted himself to that. In Mark 10, verse 45, he says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give, him life, give his life as a ransom for many. Isaiah 53, 10, 
uh, says it was the will of the Lord to crush him. It was the will of the Lord to crush Jesus. Why? Because it ultimately brought life to those who have, uh, to those who would trust and believe in Him. It was the will. Jesus had to be crushed. It was a promise all the way back in the garden where where God made a promise that there would be one who would come and crush the head of the serpent. That was Jesus, and Jesus did that on the cross. John John ten. Or John nineteen ten through eleven. This is when Jesus faces Pilate. Pilate said to him, "So Pilate, Jesus is, is meeting with Pilate, and Pilate says, and and Jesus isn't speaking. And Pilate says, you will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you?' And Jesus answered him, "You would have no authority over me at all unless it was given to you from above.' So Jesus boldly speaks to Pilate. Pilate says, "I have authority to kill you or release you." And Jesus says, "No, you don't have any authority over me." It was not. Pilate, it was not the Roman soldiers who crucified Jesus. It was, but it wasn't. Like this is where it gets like really hard to. Uh, uh, Spurgeon talks about the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man kind of running together. It was the will of God to crush Jesus, but it's also our sinfulness who 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 crucified Jesus. But Jesus tells Pilate, "You don't have any authority over me. I had the authority to lay down my life, and I have the authority to take it back up again." John Piper says, everyone has the authority to lay down their life. Jesus, John, he, we all have the authority to lay down our life. But nobody in the history of the world has the authority to, ta- to take it back up. And Jesus did that. Jesus did that. Jesus laid down his life willingly, but he resurrected from the grave three days later. And, verse, and then uh, at the end of the verse, this charge I have received from my Father. So this word charge is like this military word, this charge, this mission. Jesus says, this is a mission that I have received from my Father. is to come, lay down my life, and to take it up again. Alright, so let's jump to some applications. Ten applications that we're going to look at from this text real quick. And then we will be done. Number one. Number one. We've looked at Jesus as the Good Shepherd. And so... It, it would be foolish to think that, that maybe there's somebody here who does not know the good shepherd. You do not have that relationship with the Lord. So the first thing I would ask, do you know the good shepherd? Are you in the sheepfold and are you under his good care? Are, have, you, have you repented of your sins, turned to Jesus, submitted your life to him, and are you under that good care of the true good shepherd? Because there are a lot of false shepherds out there who seek Again, to kill, steal, and destroy. They want to steal your joy. They want to steal your happiness. They want to kill and bring destruction into your lives. But Jesus gives life, and He gives life in abundance. And if we cry out to the Lord, repent of your sins, put your faith and trust in Him, then you'll be saved, and you'll be brought into the sheepfold, and you'll be under the care of the Good Shepherd. Number 2, verse 3. Do you know the voice of the shepherd? Verse 3. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice. Just as sheep knew and understood the voice of their shepherd, so we too should know the voice of our shepherd. How do we hear from the Lord? We hear from the, we hear from the Lord through His Word. He speaks to us through prayer and meditation. He speaks to us through, through, through our conscience. When, when, like whenever you feel like, like maybe the Lord is, is, you have this feeling that you need to share the gospel with this person, or you have this this feeling that you, that you need to do this, you need to do that. That's the Lord speaking to you. That is Him uh, 
speaking, and, and we need to know, we need to learn to understand and, and recognize the voice of the Lord, sitting daily, spending time in His Word, listening to Him. Uh, that's how we can hear from Him. Number three, we follow Jesus and Jesus alone. Again, uh, as the sheep would follow their shepherd wherever he goes, so we too, we follow Jesus wherever he goes. Wherever Jesus leads us, that's where we go. We follow him because uh, ultimately that's what it means to be a Christian. They, they say in Acts that Christian was Christ's followers. So we want to be faithful and obedient. Are, are you daily submitting, following Jesus wherever he leads you? I think this is an important note. You can be around Jesus and surround yourself with the people of Jesus and still not truly follow Jesus. You can be around Jesus. You can go to church. You can attend church, but still not fully follow. We know this from from Judas, who was one of the disciples, who surrounded himself with Jesus, who heard firsthand the teachings of Jesus, but ultimately betrayed Jesus and and was not a true follower of Jesus. So so a, a word of caution for us to daily ask ourselves, are we submitting to the Lord and following the Lord daily in our lives? Or are we just showing up to church, doing that because that's what it's what we're supposed to do? Because I know for me, like I grew up in the church, said I was a follower of Jesus, but my life didn't actually reflect that. And so it wasn't until after I graduated high school until I truly submitted to the Lord and follow, start, began following Jesus. Number four in verse five, we need to be able to discern the voice of the Lord from the voices of the world who tried to lead us astray. Again, there would be false shepherds who would come in and seek to 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 bring the the sheepfold astray, bring them away from their shepherds. But ultimately, the the sheep knew the voice of their true shepherd. And so we need to, because uh, we hear a lot of voices. And I'm not talking like we're like voices in your head or anything. I'm talking like you hear voices from other people, how you should live your life, how you should parent, how you should, what, what age you should get married at, what age you should start having children. Like people like have all these, like, and, and most of the times they're, they're not true biblical grounded explanations. And they're just voices, like people, like voices trying to tell you how to live your life or trying to tell you how to do. We need to learn how to discern the voice from the world from the voice of the Lord and what he has to say. Um, I, for a while I was, uh, I talked with these, like these Mormon guys who would come around and they like, if you're not very careful, Mormons can lead you astray because at, at the beginning you think all oh, these people love Jesus and, and, and they, they're followers of Jesus, but they're really not followers of Jesus. They add things, they add these works that onto the, the name of Christianity. Um, and and there's and so we need to understand. And I've read the Book of Mormon. Like I got one, and I was like, "Yeah, I'll read, I'll read your book." And whenever I read that book, like I I I didn't hear from the Lord like I hear from the Lord when I read read my my Bible. Okay, so we need to discern those voices uh, from the world and under and listen to our Shepherd, know His voice. Number five, verse ten: The good Shepherd came so that for those who would believe in Him would have life. This is man's most fundamental need. Because we are born spiritually dead and cut off from God, we need life. That is ultimately, that's what we need. Before we need uh, a good job, before we need to make a lot of money, before we need kids, before we need marriage, before we need anything in life, our most fundamental need is that we need life because we're dead. 
We're spiritually dead. We're cut off. We're alienated from God. And we need to be restored back to our... <coughs> sorry. We need, we need life breathed into us from Jesus. Because we're born spiritually cut off from God, Jesus doesn't only just give us life... He gives us life in abundance. Jesus gives us purpose for living. He gives our jobs. We, we talked about this earlier. Our marriages, our parenting, how we spend our time and money, and how we engage the world with the gospel, a whole new meaning. How does Jesus give us life? We, we took, this is number 6 in verse 11. The good shepherd is good because he lays down his life for the sheep. Again, we need to understand that Jesus isn't just a good shepherd, but he is the good shepherd. Because a lot of shepherds in, in the time died, but no shepherd was able to, to, to bring himself back up from the grave. And that's what Jesus did. He's the good shepherd because he died. He not only died for our sins, but he, buried, he was buried and he rose victoriously over the grave, proving to have victory over death, hell, grave. And so that's why he's our good shepherd. No shepherd's death in history of the world could do what Jesus' death could do. He brought life and reconciliation. Jesus repeats this in verse 15 and 17. And then in John 15, 13, he says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. In Romans 5, Paul says, For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for for us and that while we were still sinners Christ died for us like if that does not give you a reason to like praise the Lord and see that he's a good shepherd that although we were still dead we were enemies of God Christ died for us and paid the penalty of our sin debt that we can never repay we can never pay him back for that he willingly suffered the wrath of God on our behalf Verse number seven, verse twelve to thirteen, Jesus the good shepherd will never leave you nor forsake you. Therefore take heart in knowing that Jesus is always with you. So as opposed to this hired hand who flees the moment that he sees the enemy coming, he sees the wolf coming, he flees. Jesus does not flee when he sees the enemy coming. He does not care what it is. Jesus is with you always to the to to the end of time as he says and a good example of this if you if you remember in the book of genesis where joseph is sold out by his brothers and he is and, and he spends different he's in prison and then he's in these different places but there's this constant saying throughout that time of, of joseph's uh imprisonment is that that the lord is with him the lord is with him despite Every situation he was in, the Lord was always with Joseph, and the Lord is always with us. No matter, no matter what has happened to you in your life, your mom, your dad abandoned you, aunt, uncle, whoever, Jesus will never leave you. Jesus will never forsake you. He promised us that, and we can believe that. So if you struggle with that, trust the Lord. Spend time in His Word. Spend time in prayer, and the Lord will, will never leave you. Verse 14, number 8, verse 14 and 15. You are known by Jesus, the good shepherd, and we know him. The word know is an intimate way of knowing someone. Jesus knows you better than anyone. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 22, On that day many will say to me, so he's saying on the day of judgment, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons 
in your name, name and do many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Jesus says there will be a lot of people who will say, Lord, we did this. We preached. We casted out demons in your name. And he will say, I don't care that you did that. Depart from me. I never knew you. I never had this true, intimate, close relationship with you. Because like Jesus is not just something we can like name it and claim it. Like some, like some of these preachers who say, like, it's this intimate, close relationship that we have with our shepherd that true followers of Jesus have with, with the Lord. Amen. Number nine, verse 16. Jesus is gathering sheep from all nations, tribes, languages, and people groups. Psalm twenty-two, twenty-seven. 27, he says, All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. Psalm 86, 9 says, All the nations you have made shall, be, shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. In Revelation, John has this vision. He says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one can number, from every tribe, from all nations, from all peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the land, Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And the things that are going on in our world where hate groups are going against those of different color, of different race, different nationality, where people are, are standing and they're KKK members and they're standing in their white robes and they're, they're, they're killing and persecuting and they say Jesus saves Yes, Jesus does save, does save, and He saves those who who are, are are seeking to bring persecution, who seeks to kill those and marginalize those of different color. Jesus is drawing all people to Himself. It doesn't matter your race, doesn't matter your color. Jesus is bringing people to Himself, and there are all nations will ultimately represent the throne one day. The white supremacy movement is from hell. It has no place in the church because Jesus is calling all people to himself. We should not. And I would say that if you are, if you are that person, you probably truly do not know the Lord. If your first instinct when you see somebody of a different race, of a different nationality is to say they should speak my language or they should get out, that is not from Jesus. That is from hell and you should repent and believe the gospel if you believe that. Because Jesus, like, I don't know where we think that Jesus was this white Caucasian and he spoke English, but he didn't. Like, that's not, like, he's not, like, he wouldn't look like us, talk like us, smell like us. And so I don't know why we think that, that Christianity is the white man's religion, but it's not. Jesus is drawing all people to himself. He has people everywhere. And when he says, I must bring them, Jesus is saying, he's not saying I might bring them or I probably will. He says, no, I must bring them because there will be people from all nations who will listen to my voice. And they will listen to me. Not they might listen to me or not they could listen to me. No, they will listen to me because they are mine. I've chosen them from the beginning of the world. And they will listen to me. I will bring them into my fold. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. There is only one flock. There are not multiple flocks. There's only one flock. And Jesus is the shepherd over that flock. Peter says that he's the chief shepherd over our souls. And for those of us who are in Christ, we're in that, 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 that flock. 
Since Jesus the Good Shepherd is bringing all people into His sheepfold, we have a responsibility to preach the gospel and trust the Lord to do the work of salvation in our hearts. Paul says in Romans 1.14, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Paul is basically saying, I don't care if people are intellectually smart or I don't care if they're like a redneck like, like I am. Like People deserve to know and hear the gospel. It doesn't matter your intellect doesn't matter your social status, like how much money you make or how much you don't make. It doesn't matter. The gospel is being proclaimed to all people, and we have a responsibility to do that. We must be faithful to, to take the gospel to all nations. The last point, number 10, verse 17 and 18, the Father sent Jesus to die for his sheep, and the Father commanded that he not abandon his sheep, but rise from the dead. And he did. And this is why we can go in and out with him, uh, referring to verse 10 or verse 9 where he says uh, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. He died for our sins so that we are forgiven and have access to God. And he raised to be the good shepherd of the sheep. Hebrews thirteen twenty through 21 says, Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by his blood of the eternal covenant, covenant equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. We have an eternal shepherd who shepherds over us, equipping us with everything we need to do his will. He leads us, provides for us, and he protects us like a good shepherd does. That's what the good shepherd looks like. Jesus ultimately reigns and rules over us. And he provides for us. He protects us. So let's believe him. Let's trust him in that. If you're, not, if you're here and you don't know him, we would plead with you to be reconciled to the Father. And come under his good, gracious care. So how do we respond in this? We respond in worship. Because our shepherd is very good. So I'll pray and we'll sing to the Lord together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are good. You are a good shepherd. And Lord, you watch over us. You protect us. You feed us. You lead us in paths of righteousness. You do not leave us. You do not abandon us. We can trust you. And Lord, we can um, take heart, Father, that, that, that you're good. And that your death and your resurrection secures us and lord that we will persevere to the end if we will but trust and believe in you because lord you are the author and finisher of our salvation so father we pray that if if anybody does not know you lord we pray that that you would draw them to yourself we pray that you would build us up as your people as your sheep and pray that we would obey you and that we would discern your voice and pray this in jesus name amen